Hello, I'm Mubin and I'm sitting here with the leadership of FACES. This is Tony Thompson, Rahana Fessel and Peter Adams. Uh, we're an interfaith charity which combats child sexual exploitation. Uh, as you may know, it is Interfaith Week and we'll be basing this discussion around what interfaith organisations can offer in a secular society. Uh, you also get to learn a little bit more about what we do through this panel discussion. Uh, so I'd like to hit the ground running and ask you what's the most exciting part about working in FACES? The relationships, yeah. <laughs> the relationships, the opportunity to work together across faiths that often are regarded as being divided, but actually to talk about really deep, complex issues openly and honestly, and to do so knowing that we're all on the same side. Yeah, I, I think as a principle. Or we learn more from people who are different than yeah. you are than people who are the same. And it, so it's, it's not just the friendships, but built on those friendships is a mutual respect yeah. and an opportunity yeah. to, to learn from each other. So, so I've learned so much through the friendships and the relationships uh, within FACES. I, I know I'm a different person now than I was five years ago and a lot of that is due to those relationships and the discussions that I've had. Yeah, and I think just to, to build on that, we haven't been a group of people who have come together to perform a particular function. We work really hard on building those relationships. We have um, supported each other, we've uh, been patient with each other, we've humoured each other um, and we've listened to each other yeah. um, which has created a, a context really where we've ha been able to have really challenging conversations um, and learn from it and, and, and move on from it and grow as an organisation because of it and I think um, as an interfaith organisation I think that's um, a really important part of what we do but I think we are we are especially good at it here at FACES um, and I think we often find that other people are really um, impressed sometimes taken aback by the level of openness and, um, and frankness of the discussions that we're able to have. Uh -huh. So you mentioned challenges can you give me a specific example or a case study in this case about a challenge which you, you kind of resolved and how did you resolve it? Well, I think the obvious one is actually, and really what brought us together was a sense of finger-pointing at child abuse and exploitation within, a, within each community. So, for example, when the stories around Muslim grooming gangs, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. were very dominant, I, you know, Rahman and I, my conversation was, actually, I can't point the finger at you because I look at the Church of England which I'm a part of, we've got child sexual exploitation cases coming out of our ears. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And we need to deal with them. I can't point the finger. So it's actually that very real honesty reflection around issues that are common to us. Okay. There's a real challenge to be honest and open and yep. vulnerable at that point. Would you say it's more of an institutional thing then, rather than a faith issue? It's, it's at every level. I mean, I wouldn't say it's not, it's not primarily to do with faith, it's around the institutions, structures that are formed around faith, yes, often. Okay. I just build on that to say that um, 
abuse, some really central to abuse and how it happens are power imbalances yeah. of power um, and how that functions and that's across um, you know different forms um, of abuse whether that's exploitation uh, sexual criminal whether it's familial abuse whatever, whatever context that is domestic violence there is an um, an imbalance of power often um, and there is an abuse of power um, and that can happen yes at an institutional level but it can happen at individual levels as well um, but you know again those are the conversations that we've been able to have and the nuances that we've been able to develop I, I know that um, Tony and and Peter won't won't mind me talking about um, you know the way that we reflect on how narratives are, are built differently for different groups of people and again that's because of um, you know power and who has it and who doesn't so um, articulations and narratives around abuse within uh, the Christian faith institutions mm -hmm. has been very different to how on-street grooming of children has been framed as a as a, as a Muslim problem mm -hmm. um, and again that's that's because of the strength of our relationships that we've been able to um, have those conversations and, and, and acknowledge the unfairness in those narratives. That's an interesting point you made there, oh, yeah, I was wondering what Tony thought about this. Well I was just thinking it, we can apply that to abuse but I think the challenge is, it's not just in abuse, it's in society as a whole. And so one of the challenges that we've had to face is those power imbalances and the prejudices and the deep-seated institutional uh, racism that lives in society, and to challenge that amongst ourselves and to make sure that there's a shared power between Christians and Muslims within faces, between men and women within faces, and, and to learn and understand those dynamics. Uh, and it's a challenge that we've had to face amongst ourselves, but also recognise that there is that challenge in, in wider society, a challenge within the groups that we represent. And so whilst we have faced and to, to a certain extent overcome those challenges amongst us, we're still battling with those challenges in wider society, which influence abuse and causes abuse, mm -hmm. but it's not just uh, exclusively within abuse, it's within society yeah. as a whole. And I think that's a major challenge in a battle mm -hmm. which we're, we are seeking to, to fight together. Okay, so changing gears a little bit, um, either Tony or uh, Peter can answer this for me. Thank you very uh, much. What, <laughs> what do you think Christianity offers to child abuse? How do you think, what's the voice which Christianity offers here? Thank you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that well, from a faith perspective, so I don't think it's just a, an exclusively Christian one, but you can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but I, I think that the heart of Christianity is about where there's only one race, we're all equal before the eyes of God and everyone has an equal value and everybody needs to be respected and abuse is a disrespect mm -hmm. and, and that there is also uh, in the heart of Christianity 
is an answer to the power imbalance, which is those who have power seek to humble themselves to use that power for the benefit of others, which is what Christ did. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Christ uh, being, I, I would say, is being God demonstrated who God is by making him, instead of humbling himself to make him as yeah. a servant and actually uh, giving his life up for others. And so therefore we bring, and I bring the sense that I need to speak up for those who are disadvantaged, those who are powerless, which includes um, those who are abused. Yeah. We need to call evil, evil, sin, sin. Yeah. And recognise that, not fudge it, not play games with that, and recognise it when it, whether it's in our midst or whether it's out there. And I think it's that calling out, being prepared to talk about something in those terms without pointing the finger, without playing games, that really has defined some of what we are. And because actually what we bring to this is openness, honesty, integrity, mm. as well as that respect for all. Okay, Rohana, so what would you say Islam offers in this respect? I think really central. I mean, I think Islam offers so much to this, but I perhaps I'll reframe the question and slightly talk a little bit about my motivations and what, what my faith brings to me and what I hope to bring to this conversation is um, compassion, um, which I think is a really central part of our faith. Um, and that means, you know, that in, in a similar way to, I guess, uh, how Tony has um, articulated it, is that we have to um, humble ourselves a little, that we have to put our, ourselves in other people's shoes, um, particularly when we're talking about children here. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of the narrative around the abuse has focused on the victims, what they could do, what they should do differently in order to prevent that abuse from happening. Um, we are really committed to turning that onto our head. What do the rest of us have to do? Uh, so that's compassion and connected to that is justice. Um, and you know, what does justice mean? What does justice look like? Um, I've said this many, many times and you know people will have heard it from me, but justice means that we prioritise those with the least power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that we, we, we not just uh, humble ourselves and, and consider that, but we humble ourselves and hand some of that power over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those two are the, some of the kind of core values that I think that we bring here yeah. and that we're motivated by. And I think it's it comes with the basic issue of what we're talking about is faith therefore has something to say to a secular society whose premise it is a free market, it's the strength to the powerful, yeah. yes, and that it needs a faith perspective to, to bring in. And so this is going on to the next question. Uh, can, can I just say before we go there, <laughs> yes. I mean just to yeah. say in terms of Rahana's response, compassion, justice, mm-hmm. if those mark out two aspects of a Muslim response, those are not just words, mm-hmm. but I see the passion to, for justice mm-hmm. in this woman, mm-hmm. but I also see, and it's something I've known from the first day I met her, is the compassion. Mm-hmm. And so actually, I think we seek to, to live out the best of what we are. Mm-hmm. And I see the best of Islam in my friend here and her colleagues. And that, I think, is something that marks out 
really what we are as faces. I mean, Rahama said we seek to be the very best of what interfaith can be, and I think that that sort of deep mutual respect is something that has grown amongst us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it sounds like you've got a really very deep friendship, and there's a lot of common themes that are between the religions as well yeah. on this one focus. Um, maybe kind of going on a tangent here, but do you think justice and compassion, if we're looking at the perpetrator, for example, where does compassion fit into this? It, it fits in. We're, we're, there's a sense in all of us, we're all both victims and perpetrators. So I think that there's no, you can't have a simple divide and say this person is a victim, this person is a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we're all a mixture of both. And we need to, all of us need to recognise and acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And, that. and therefore all of us need both justice and compassion. Yeah. And we both all believe in change. People's lives can change. So a perpetrator can change. Mm-hmm. Now they're always going to have to be very mindful and guarding. We, you know, those lessons we learn as church leaders and so on that actually you have to be very attentive to this. But actually, that person can change, mm-hmm. and we want to create an environment where hopefully that will change. It's not. It's not the centre of work, mm-hmm. but it, it certainly is our belief. So, so in practice, and, and this is where at times faith communities have got it wrong, where they haven't got the, the two together. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got a, someone who has abused children, and as it happens within faith communities, for example, mm-hmm. there needs to be compassion for them and knowing that and help them to know that there's forgiveness that's available them but also justice comes in yeah. Yeah. and so it's not just about them being forgiven which is appropriate and for and it's ultimately it's God that needs to forgive and they need to come to God for forgiveness there's also justice that's needing to be done mm-hmm. such that they need to go through the appropriate channels in terms of justice in the, the system which is uh, potentially going through the courts and, and elsewhere. And so the two go together. And also I think, you know, the world is quite complicated and we often talk in binaries, mm-hmm. um, but that's not reflective of the world we live in. So victim perpetrator binaries are, are probably not that helpful. But I think look, ultimately what we want is for these violations not to happen at all. And we need to be able to imagine, <coughs> imagine a world where that doesn't happen. And if we wanted to create that world, then what do we do? And that does require compassion, empathy, work, support with everybody. Um, you know, it's kind of almost going backwards to come, to come forwards. Um, yeah. Okay, so we'll move on to the uh, next question here. So um, this is what the theme of this uh, uh, discussion is about. So what are the implications of interfaith work in a secular context, particularly when secularism seems to be presented as a default of British society? Well, I, I mean, I'll just open up to say that um, there are often framings of 
secularism as being default or being as being neutral, but it's neither of those things. Mm-hmm. So um, secularism has its own articulations, it has its own ideas, um, and it has its own um, actions and consequences um, in the way in the ways that it functions. And we see that we see that you know in Britain, we see it in in France very acutely. Um, and so you know, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to open by saying that that's just a false characterization of what secularism is mm-hmm. um, and what it does for, for, for society. Um, that will be my opening and I'll let my, my friends respond mm-hmm. to it. I think secularism arose because, <clears throat> I mean certainly in the West, you look at France, you look at the similar direction but very different outworking of it in Britain. Secularism arose because of the the power and the abuse of power by religious institutions and in our British situation, the Church of England for example, mm-hmm. as you know, it was so wedded to the establishment. Or has is still so wedded to the establishment. So Peter, <clears throat> uh, my question would be what from um, from this perspective as a modern interfaith organisation, how are we placing ourselves in that position of power? Of course, you recognise that. And how, what do we offer in response to secular society? What was he thinking? Yeah. I, 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 that whilst we claim to be a secular society, we are, are a large percentage of it is also faith-based yeah and so a secular society can't enforce secularism on everybody it's the the mistake that peter's talking about as happened in the past in terms of the church seeking to impose itself on everybody mm-hmm. and, and in a sense there is that dynamic in fallen human nature that wants to do that and at the moment it's secularism that's seeking to impose itself on others. Could you give us an example here? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the, the, the way that it caricatures faith. And so we, we've talked about Islam and we've talked about the compassion of Islam. And yet secular society would, would seek to paint Islam as the enemy. And without any sense of trying to understand things and seeking to impose uh, laws on things and thinking that it speaks for everyone without mm-hmm. listening. So I, I think, you know, uh, secularism and, um, you know, the articulations associated with it, if we're really honest, um, serve to, to discipline us. Um, and discipline us in a way that says that, that there is this one particular way of being yeah. um, and you must be that way. I think that's where particularly our work challenging prejudices and challenging the unequal way that people are treated, mm-hmm. um, which is motivated by our faith and our faith values is really important here. Because it, going back to my original point, secularism is not neutral. Mm-hmm. Secularism will tell me that I don't have a place here. And what we are saying is actually, yes, we do. We're and together we can speak and make secular authorities listen in the way that we can't individually and part of our role I think is to help secularists, secular societies, secular powers to Mm -hmm. understand faith and to speak on behalf of faith not just on behalf as a Christian or a Muslim but together and 
challenge. There are other ways of thinking about things yes. and that you need to take that in account yeah. uh, to bring about a, a healthy mm -hmm. society. Yeah. I mean, so we're uh, kind of coming to the end of this okay. discussion here, but I do want to have uh, one final question. Um, it's kind of linked to the previous one. Uh, what do you see for the future of interfaith organisations? I'll let you start off, Peter. <laughs> I mean, I think to just tidy in with what we, where we were, mm -hmm. for myself as somebody who has a leadership role in the Church of England, which is still so very linked in secular state, you know, we have a position of power. I recognise that. I cannot fail to... I, I must not fail to own that. Mm -hmm. I want freedom for all my friends. I want faith to be taken seriously. And I, my role, particularly within that context of being a member of the Church of England, is to create space for all. Now, what the future holds in terms of the continuing place of the Church of England, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But my place at the moment is to recognise I have power, but to create equal stage for all of us. And recognise, yes, I have a role in inviting friends to join me in that space. That then has to, my power in, in invitation then has to be laid down so that we are equals on that stage. But I do know that faith is important. I don't want to see faith ruled out as some versions of secularisation. So actually, I think Faces gives us the opportunity to explore what faith brings to society yeah. and to create a platform for that but to do so in the modern world that where people from an Islamic community, people from a Christian community are able to walk forward together in, in, a, in working for the best in, a, in our society. Mm -hmm. Rekhana, what do you make of that? I think um, if interfaith um, faith organisations are going to be able to speak meaningfully to the challenges that we have in society, in the country, then um, I think there needs to be a real shift in the way that we work. Um, you know, I said right at the beginning that I think faces are unique and I, and I, and I, I really mean that. I think there has been, um, and there continues to be, um, interfaith models that um, don't equally distribute the power that um, rely on a sense of benevolence of one group over the other, mm -hmm. that, you know, um, we can often... I, I know that I've been there, that, we, you know, I walk into a room um, and there are all of these assumptions loaded onto me and I feel I have to respond to those mm -hmm. uh, assumptions when we have that. And we've erased that, we're trying to erase that, we're, you know, we're working on that in here, but that isn't the case um, across interfaith groups. Um, you know, there are long histories between our faiths. Um, some of those are ugly histories of colonialism yeah. and imperialism, which, which, which do, do impact the way that we work and see each other now. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And we, we've really got to yeah. do this piece of work of dismantling that and then come together to um, work on what is actually a challenge for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to do that in order... Uh, challenge the society as a whole because there are, there are victims of our society and, and so that the, the poor get poorer mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and just the, the general the side effects of 
the capitalism and the way th things are, are creates victims. And I think that modern interfaith organisations need to be able to speak together, deal with our grappling with about our issues and, and understanding each other, but then seek to do the, for the good of, of the whole and speak to powers and, and to say, no, there's a different way of doing things and for us to be clear on the basis that we're, we're doing that, which is our faith and our, our understanding of how things are. Thank you for that. Um, I'd like to thank you all for taking part in this discussion. I know you're all very busy people. Um, uh, so, as you can see, FACES has an active dialogue, uh, one which we're interpreting, reinterpreting, challenging in many ways. Um, but at the core of it is protecting children. We can all agree on that, but also we have other values which flow from that. Justice, compassion, mercy, patience. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for watching. Thank you.